0: Welcome to the Hearing Matters Podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaise Delfino of Audiology Services, the show that discusses hearing technology, best practices, and a growing national epidemic, hearing loss. On today's show, we will be discussing the hearing aid recommendation process. For those listening right now, thank you so much for tuning in. We have an exciting show lined up for you today. And Dr. Delfino, I'm sure that you can agree with me on that statement.
1: Yes, as we had mentioned in previous episodes, that this is really where the fun begins or where the rubber meets the road, where we start to take all the data that we've collected, we put it into a very coherent and plan-making process, and then start to discuss what the next step is. Dr. Delfino,
0: the hearing aid recommendation process is very intimate, and it is absolutely an exciting step in the right direction. Now, as you previously stated, and as we discussed on episode 7, we discussed what patients can expect at their initial hearing evaluation. Now, at that appointment, the clinician will review the hearing test results with the patient, If the patient has hearing loss and a medical referral is not warranted, the clinician will then recommend hearing technology, correct?
1: Correct, yes. And again, this is where we have developed the profile. And again, being intimate is such an important part of this. Throughout the process, we have listened to the patient, what their needs are, what their social settings are like, so that we're always keeping foremost in our mind what's going to best fit... First, the audition or the audibility, how well they are able to hear the sounds, but then is it comfortable for them? What we want to do is we want to be able to now, at this point, put together the whole picture.
0: So before we recorded this show, we wanted to make sure that we relate to our listeners that it is the hearing aid recommendation process, not so much the hearing aid selection process, because we encourage new hearing aid users to place that trust in the provider's experience. Is that correct?
1: Clearly, the most successful fittings are ones in which we have worked with the patient to select the technology that best works for them, that is most efficient for them. And again, listening to their profile, we now know what it is that they want and how to give it to them.
0: The first step that we implement at audiology services regarding the hearing aid recommendation process is taking into consideration the patient's type and degree of hearing loss. Now, why is this such an important factor for when you're recommending hearing technology for a patient?
1: It helps us to set audiometric parameters for the patient based upon what their hearing loss is like. I don't want to be giving a patient amplification that is anemic or something that's too aggressive. So all this information that we've collected, the speech, the speech and noise, the audiometric data, all create the plan for moving forward. And
0: Dr. Delfino, to dovetail off what you said in terms of we don't want to ever over-amplify, correct? So taking into consideration that type and degree of hearing loss and what we're looking at is okay, this specific patient presents with a severe sensory neural hearing loss. You wouldn't fit this patient with a 60 gain receiver, right? You, you would, we're, we're in our mind reviewing this type of degree of hearing loss and saying, okay, patient X presents with a severe hearing loss. They are a candidate for uh, BTE, behind the ear hearing aid, correct?
1: Yeah. And, you know, this has been clearly demonstrated to us. When someone walks into our office and they have tried to self-remediate by buying uh, uh, something off the counter and they'll tell us, you know, it it makes the sounds loud, but not loud enough. Um, Nothing is really terribly clear. Um, It, again, is demonstrative of something that's not obviously been fit, but something that's not appropriate for the type and degree of hearing loss that this patient sustains.
0: And essentially, understanding the type and degree of hearing loss allows us as the provider to customize the patient's listening experience, and how important is that customization?
1: It's it's essential. You know, the type of hearing loss, again, tells us something about someone's tolerance for sound, someone's need for additional volume, someone with a conductive type of hearing loss where the middle ear is involved. And again, there are no medical contraindications. This is a patient that's going to require more volume, more loudness. They enjoy it. That's what they need. With a patient with sensorineural hearing loss, we need to be somewhat cautious in how we dole out the volume because we know that the sensorineural hearing loss, many times as a byproduct, has what's called recruitment or the abnormal growth of loudness, and it becomes uncomfortable for them. So knowing the type and degree of hearing loss helps us to determine what's the best technology for the patient to be wearing.
0: Now, when you are speaking and reviewing the patient's audiometric data, and in your mind you're saying, this is what I would recommend to this patient because of type and degree of hearing loss. Dr. Delfino, what you do next is you take into consideration the patient's speech discrimination
1: scores. What does this mean? Speech discrimination really gives us a snapshot of how well someone is going to be able to hear and understand speech at their, what's called their PB max, or their phonetically balanced maximum output, the level at which they are best able to perform or hear and understand speech. Speech discrimination is a nice way in which we can kind of prognosticate as to how well they're going to do with amplification.
0: So first is the type and degree of hearing loss. Second, what you're looking at is the patient's speech discrimination scores. Now, the next one is really important, and this is a factor that we really take into consideration when recommending hearing technology. And the third factor is the
1: patient's speech and noise scores. That really is so telling for us as well as for the patient because as we had mentioned in previous episodes, people come to our clinic and they will remark, I have trouble understanding, not so much hearing, but... I have trouble understanding what's being said. And so the speech and noise gives me a very clear way in which I can demonstrate to them and to myself what exactly are they experiencing. They will listen to speech with competing background noise as they would if they were in a restaurant or at a family gathering, and their results will, again, tell me how well they are able to respond in that environment. The other issue with speech and noise, we do the quick sin. That's a way in which we are able to help the patient to determine whether or not they are going to need some augmentative communication devices. This is
0: one of the factors that we are both so passionate about, especially with my background in audio engineering, because understanding the type and degree of hearing loss, the patient's speech scores, but now the speech and noise scores allows us as the clinicians to make that strong recommendation of this is why you need an advanced or premium level technology because your speech and noise scores are 12%. And understanding the speech and noise scores, as I just said, allows us to select and recommend to the patient the best level of technology for them. The hearing instruments today have noise reduction. And with today's technology, what the hearing instruments do is through vowel detection and they're processing sound over a hundred times per second is they can tell the difference between speech and non-speech sounds. So understanding the patient's speech and noise scores allows us to make that strong recommendation of, okay, you have a mild to moderate, severe high frequency hearing loss. We're going to fit you with a receiver in the canal, and we'd like to fit you with an advanced or premium level technology because you have a very high social activity level and your speech and noise score is 12%. This is why you need the most aggressive instrument that has the highest level of noise reduction. It's essential to note that when the clinicians are recommending the hearing technology, that we focus on benefits first and features second. The benefit of the hearing instrument, which is bridging the gap to overall increased speech understanding and intelligibility, that is the number one goal. The number one goal is not Bluetooth compatibility. Benefits first, features second.
1: Yeah, we certainly want to first help help the individual be able to hear better. Some Some patients like to know that those features are there because they've done some uh, some shopping or some some inquiry prior to coming so they want to know whether or not the instrument that they may be interested in is capable of doing some of those things but again our focus is let's get you hearing and understanding better first and then we can talk about some augmentative ways
0: if an advanced or premium level technology does not fit into the budget of the patient we can actually fit that patient with a lower level technology. And this specific patient that I'm kind of talking about might have speech and noise scores of 24%. We can fit this specific patient with a lower level technology. But what we'll do to increase that signal to noise ratio is introduce the remote microphone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, that's a way of of allowing someone whose budget is somewhat restricted with regard to what they can buy, by being creative with what we have and having those tools available to us, this patient is able to hear in a much better way with technology that they can't afford.
0: The next factor that goes into the hearing aid recommendation process is the patient's dexterity. This is so important because when we're sitting with our patients in the technology suite, what we're looking at and assessing is, okay, Mrs. Jones, can you actually place this hearing aid on your ear successfully? Can you successfully open up the battery door? Uh, If a patient presents with decreased dexterity, rechargeability will have to be taken into consideration, right? Dr. Delfino, what else have you seen in clinic regarding uh, decreased dexterity?
1: Some of the things that we know that will work are things like the ear mold technology. And, Blaze, I can't tell you how many times you have discovered and claimed and recognized older individuals' difficulty with putting domes in and made the move to using a more hard shell approach. This is a way in which the patient is more easily able to direct the portion of the hearing aid that goes into their ear to fit into the canal, to fit safely, and it's secure. It stays that way. It stays in their ear the uh, entirety of the day so that they're not worried about losing the instrument, but it's consistently performing well. If we can't get the patient to put the instrument in their ear, then where they're not going to be enjoying the benefit of amplification.
0: They won't enjoy their experience, no. right? So the patient's dexterity taking that into consideration is so important when it comes to the hearing aid recommendation process. The next factor that we take into consideration is the patient's social activity level. Now, this factor is somewhat sensitive because many times patients will associate themselves with not being terribly socially active, but this might be due to their hearing loss. So, we often ask how socially active the patient was before they noticed their hearing loss because a lot of times patients will socially withdraw. Now, if a patient comes to us and Mr. or Mrs. Jones says, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, my social activity level is 7, 8, or 9, which means they are very socially active, we are going to recommend hearing technology that is uh, advanced or premium because what advanced and premium level technology can do is... They are able to make the essential acoustic changes within the environments that that patient walks into. So when that patient gets out of the car, walks outside, goes into the grocery store, the instrument is constantly assessing their environments. We're thinking to ourselves and asking our patients, what is your social activity level? How socially active are you? If Mr. Jones tells us that he is a activity level of two and lives at an assisted living, are we going to recommend premium-level technology? Probably not, and here's why. Do we know that our patients do best with premium-level technology? Of course. But we're also taking into consideration that type and degree of hearing loss and social activity level at this point.
1: Some folks will come in and say that I'm not terribly active socially, but when they are, they want to be able to hear and understand what's going on. And so while patients may tell us that they're not socially active, but when they are at family gatherings or they're at restaurants where they really want to hear, where they really need to hear better speech and noise, that's where the more advanced technology or the augmentative devices really become an essential part. So when a patient comes in, they may initially feel as though they don't need as much help, but throughout the follow-up process, we discover they let us know they're struggling, we make the next step to ameliorate their their difficulties understanding speech and noise.
0: And again, to those tuned in right now, Dr. Delfino and I are discussing the hearing aid recommendation process. Again, this is a very intimate and calculated process. What we're doing as clinicians is reviewing the data that we've collected and making a data-driven decision. Yes, we take into consideration subjective matters and and subjective data, but this is really a data-driven decision, which is really important. Dr. Delfino, another factor that we take into consideration is that of Bluetooth connectivity, because what's so wonderful about today's hearing technology is that the instruments can talk to smartphones. What our patients can now experience is that binaural summation of talking on the phone and hearing the conversation through both ears. How awesome is that? It's incredible. It's incredible.
1: It really is. What, it, what a huge improvement over the past years. Again, I wish I had this for my own father when, when he was alive. Being able to hear on the telephone using both ears, hands-free, with incredible clarity is truly, mm-hmm. it's a gift to those with hearing impairment. So what we'll do is throughout
0: the hearing aid recommendation process, we will ask the patient, do you have a smartphone? And if they do, which the majority of them do, we will connect their hearing instruments to their smartphone. And we typically counsel them on the use of that uh, at the second follow-up because that first follow-up, we just want them to get comfortable with their hearing instruments. But there is a, a patient of ours who... They are 86 or 87 years young, and this particular patient was not afraid to utilize the Bluetooth connectivity. They absolutely love it. Um, They stream phone calls speaking to their grandchildren. It's truly amazing. So you don't need to be a 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old hearing instrument user. Uh, We have patients in their 80s connecting to their smartphones. I think that's the coolest thing. Dr. Delfino, the last factor that we're going to discuss today with regard to the hearing recommendation process is the patient's budget. Now, you and I both know, and what we do at Audiology Services is that we fit to the patient's needs, never the pocketbook. We have levels of technology for every lifestyle, for every budget. Do our patients do best in our premium level technology? Yes, absolutely. We have data that supports that statement. As the clinicians and professionals, we make our recommendation based on the data that we've collected. So, as previously stated, our recommendations are data-driven. And of course, which is extremely important, listening intently to understand
1: the patient's needs. Yes, we we really never want a patient to leave audiology services with a hearing loss and not have amplification or have the opportunity to get amplification that they need and or want, and so um, we will make sure that that happens for them.
0: Absolutely, we never want the finance factor to be that barrier to entry, and a lot of the clinics. I would probably claim that almost every hearing healthcare clinic does provide that financing option as well. And again, I love that statement that you you just said, Dad, is we don't want our patients leaving the clinic with a hearing loss and that financial factor being the barrier to entry.
1: It's typically taken quite a bit of time before the patient has enough courage to come in to get their hearing tested. And first and foremost, I want to employ them on their courage but I also want to be able to grace them with the ability to hear and understand better leaving as opposed to when they came in and we will do whatever we need to to make that happen.
0: Now, for those tuned in right now, the major factors that we at Audiology Services take into consideration when recommending hearing technology will be listed in the show notes. Now, Dr. Delfino, I am a patient You've recommended the hearing technology you feel as though I'm going to do extremely well with. Now, I've made the important decision to move forward with hearing technology. I've partnered with an audiologist or hearing healthcare professional. At this point, what happens next? Do you take measurements? What does this process look like?
1: We want to be able to get the instruments on the individual as quickly as possible because the most valuable experience that they can have is putting the technology on their ears and hearing for themselves what we have discussed prior to them fitting the instruments. And in fact, in many cases, Blaze, as you know, when we realize a patient is struggling with understanding, we'll step that, we'll move that step forward and put the instruments on them so that all during the counseling process, they are able to hear clearly and understand what's being said. It gives them the initial opportunity to hear what amplification is like and to make some value judgments initially as to whether or not this is something that's going to improve their life, something that they want to move forward with.
0: And then at that point, we'll take measurements of the patient's ears. If there's any customization associated with the fit, which at audiology services, we customize about 45% of our patients, whether it's custom in-the-ear hearing instruments or customizing ricks or receiver in the ears. Now, once the provider gets your measurements and or takes ear impressions, they will place your order. If any customization was required, it can take up to two and a half weeks until your hearing technology arrives at the clinic. And that's because whenever customization occurs regarding hearing technology, the manufacturer needs to build your instrument. Typically after the patient's initial hearing evaluation, if we don't need to customize the order, we will schedule their first fitting four or five days after their initial appointment. So there's not a lot of time between the initial appointment and the fitting appointment. Patients are excited to hear, listen, and understand speech better, and we're excited to get them back in the clinic for that fitting appointment.
1: There are those instances where we are able to fit the patient the same day for their technology, um, and that's typically for a hearing loss that's not difficult or, or complicated. Many times with people that have used instruments before or have tried some of the more commercial types of instruments, we have some available that that they can take with them the same day.
0: And our patients appreciate that. Yes.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, Dr. D, that's all we have for today. Thanks again for tuning in to the Hearing Matters Podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaise Delfino of Audiology Services. Tune in next week when we review the fitting process, the patient's first fit, and we're also going to be discussing some real ear measurement on that episode. Until next time, hear life story. Thanks again for tuning into the Hearing Matters podcast today. I'm your host, Blaze Delfino, and on behalf of our entire team, thank you so much for the support. Truly, it means so much to us. Head on over to the Apple Podcast app and share your thoughts. What did you like most about this episode, and what do you like most about our podcast? Five-star reviews are always appreciated. And also, head on over to Instagram, hit that follow button, and let's connect. And as a team... We can continue to help our community hear life story.